What's up, everybody, and welcome to the Darkcast. This is episode number 51, part one. I'm your host, Jonathan Miley, and we have a very special two-part episode for you this week. This part, we'll be having an interview with Nels Anderson and Chris Dolan. Tomorrow, we will have our normal topical podcast where we talk about stealth. Uh, so I hope you enjoy this special episode. If you'd like to hear more things like it, please let us know at our email address at podcast at darkstation.com. Also, you can follow along our f- official Twitter at darkstation underscore com. You can also follow along the two guests today. Chris is at Save the Robot, and you can follow Nels at Nels or Minch. That's N E L S O R M E N. S-C-H. I'm not sure I pronounced that right, but that's okay. Uh, So I really hope you guys enjoy it today, and here's the interview. Well, welcome to this section of the podcast. Uh, Today we have two very special guests with us. We're doing something that we haven't done before on the Darkcast. We're having developers and writers on with us, so yay for the Darkcast. Joining me is lead designer on Mark of the Ninja, Nels Anderson. Thank you very much for uh, for inviting us on. And uh, the... I'm not actually sure what your title was on the game because it just says story by in the credits. So story buyer uh, of Mark (laughs) of the Ninja, Chris Dolan. Hey, glad to be here. Uh, And then also we have first time uh, Dark Station contributor Kyle Minton. Hey there. Happy to be on. All right. Well, I am... Very glad that all of you guys could be on with us today, and we will get started uh, with just kind of an easy question. What were your favorite stealth games? Obviously, past tense, because Mark of the Ninja would be first now, but what <laughs> What are your uh, favorite stealth games? Uh, I can go first, I guess. I mean, the big one for me, um, both in terms of uh, just a thing that I love and something that influenced me a lot as a designer, and specifically on designing Ninja, was uh, was Thief and Thief Two mm. from from Looking Glass. Um, that was kind of the first one that I played that was really like a proper stealth game. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was probably the first game I ever played where it really felt like the world existed independently of my character, um, which was th- back in 1998, actually quite novel. Uh, so that was really cool. Um, so that was probably the that's always been the biggest one for me. Um, I like the early Splinter Cells a lot. Um, I, I, I have a, I have a love hate thing with, with Metal Gear. Um, some parts of it I love and some parts of it I don't. <laughs> uh, yeah, those are the kind of big ones. Like, and I, I like, I like, even though it's the, the way they do their stealth systems are pretty different. Um, I, I still like Assassin's Creed a lot too, cause I'm mm-hmm. a giant, horrible history nerd. So <laughs> nothing horrible about that. <laughs> nice. Uh, well, what about you, Chris? You know, it's stealth has actually oddly never been one of my favorite genres, and I can think of like a few stealth games I've played, but not not the way Nels has. I, I think my favorite early stealth experience was when I was staying with my grandmother, and I would hide 
I would say, hey, Grandma, I'm going to play... I, I was like eight. And I would say, hey, Grandma, I'm going to play Spy. So I'm going to try and sneak behind the couch and the furniture and get across the room and see if you can't hear me. And she'd be like, oh, hey, Chris, I can't hear you at all. And actually, at that point, she had a hearing aid. So <laughs> the easy setting. Um, and I, I, so that's like whenever I think about what's fun about stealth, that's kind of that, you know, pretending you're invisible, pretending you're like sneaking around and no one knows you're there uh, mm -hmm. is, is my key memory for that. <laughs> Nice. Well, have either of you played Dishonored? It's kind of a game of topic right now. Yeah. Right. No, I, I haven't. Nels, I think you've been geeking out on it, right? Yeah, no, yeah. I, I guess I didn't mention that because I was thinking of, like, stuff in the past, not stuff in the now. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, no, obviously, like, Dishonored very much comes from that Looking Glass, Ion Storm, Austin lineage, um, and I really like it. Right, yeah, I was going to say, because it reminded me a ton of the first two Thief games, just in, in the way the world is laid out and the way it feels. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that's a that's a good game, but we're not talking about that right now. Uh, <laughs> um, one thing that I, I've kind of noticed, because stealth is one of my favorite uh, genres, and looking back at kind of the history of games, um, one of the first stealth games was Castle Wolfenstein, you know, year, 15 years before um, Wolfenstein 3D came out, or thereabouts, somewhere around there. Um, and it, it never really gained too much ground, though, until there was 3D stealth. And within just a couple of months, we had Metal Gear Solid, we had Thief, we had Tenku, and stealth kind of exploded, but then kind of died back down. Um, and then has kind of been revitalized with the Batman games. Uh, and this idea of not making stealth so punishing. Because, I mean, you look at Thief... And even all three Thieves, uh, the early Splinter Cell games, and it's really difficult to play those games. Um, how do you think stealth has changed in the past couple of years, like since since Batman Arkham Asylum, really? I know I sort uh, of answered my own question a little bit, but... <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, like, the, the difficulty is part of it, I guess. I mean, there's kind of, like, two trajectories it goes along, right? Like, either... And the one that I'm a bit less fond of is when it's, like stealth as an option um where it's kind of like you can be sneaky but you can also just run through and blast everyone in the face and both of those things are fine um because they end up actually not being fine like the stealth often ends up just being kind of unsatisfying um or just ends up being really really hard and then you just get to the point where you just throw up your hands and you're just like oh fine i'll just murder everybody then if that's the way you want me to play <laughs> um, that's my way <laughs> but kind of the other avenue is like more of a just being a quite a bit more systemic um and like dishonor totally does this right where they like they actually make good on the you can kind of play it however you want but mm -hmm. fundamentally like, even though they say it's like oh you can just play it as an action game it's like but i don't know anyone who really derives any satisfaction from playing that way mm -hmm. and that that i think is, is far more interesting um and despite kind of some of their uh tonally questionable marketing um, it seems that the new Hitman is very much trying to do that. Like, you watch the gameplay footage of the new Hitman, and it totally evokes Hitman Blood Money, which is, mm -hmm. which is still one of my favorite games ever. Um, where it is just like a big, wide-open space, kind of approach it however you want. Um, and I think that's really interesting. Uh, and, like, you can remove, like, the cruel punishingness of some of the older stealth games, but you don't lose that interesting part mm -hmm. as long as you're still, like, this is the thing about providing choice. Yeah. I, I, th I think that was one of the most 
more interesting parts of Marketing the Ninja is it's kind of continued this theme of translating all the information to the player, keeping the player as informed as possible. You know, Marketing the Ninja kind of took that a lot further than, you know, say Arkham Asylum with the, you know, the bat vision, et cetera. I think that's what made it so successful. It's, it's kind of interesting, though, just in my head, like I look at Mark of the Ninja and it's like that that is a legitimate game mechanic of it showing all this information on screen. But when I look at Batman, I just feel like it's copping at us like you're you're giving too much information when it's it's really not that much more. Maybe it's just the I don't know, X-ray part of it that I don't mm. like. But something about Batman feels kind of like a cop out to me. Yeah, I, I just feel bad for anybody that was an environment artist on that game. <laughs> no one's environments, right? Like, you just play the entire bloody game in that x-ray mode, because there's no reason not to. Um, mm. Yeah, it, it does feel like, yeah, it does feel like it's, I mean, it's it's kind of necessary with the way you just have to navigate the space. Um, but yeah, it's definitely like a little bit like, oh, yeah, it feels a little wonky, maybe. But for, for some perspective, I remember when, when you guys were first talking about having these explicit like bubbles and lines on the screen, it was hard to picture having played a build where none of that stuff was in there. And I was like, boy, is that going to be like odd to have like circles around guys' heads or have like the circles on the things hitting? Like, um, but it, it really works. And maybe the 2D-ness helps with that. It feels more natural in 2D than if it was like a super realistic looking 3D game. But it's it was it was kind of a leap, I think, to do that. It was an interesting decision. Yeah, it, it's yeah. one of those things that uh, just from my perspective is is like, yeah, that sounds odd, but once you see it in practice, it's like, oh, well, why doesn't everything do this? That makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> like, um, like Giant Bomb ran a, a post, kind of a, a making of piece about the game, and we mm -hmm. did some of our like one month in prototype footage and that was well before any of that stuff we even thought about doing it and looking at it now i'm like oh god how did we ever expect <laughs> to be able to play this game <laughs> yeah just uh just to make a note that uh, a link to that article uh, as well as both of yours interview with michael abbott on the brainy gamer will be in the show notes of this podcast so if people want to dig deeper into market the ninja uh they can and uh, that bit actually provides a great segue to what I want to ask. Uh, basically, you know, you mentioned, Nels, in that article of Giant Bomb that, you know, the game started out, you, you had no idea how I was going to get the certification even. So, you know, while you were in the process of designing the game, was there anything, all those things that you had to leave out that you had to kind of sharpen down and whittle down, was there anything you left out that you really wish you could have included? Um, not, not really, actually. Like, there's a bunch of stuff that, that didn't make it into the game, but it was very much on purpose. It was just like, you know, this mechanic isn't really working, or, you know, this, this stuff is just unnecessary, or whatever. There, there wasn't, like, any major bits that were kind of left on the cutting room floor just because we didn't have enough time to do them. Um, the stuff that ain't in there, like, more or less ain't in there for a, a good designy <laughs> reason. Um... I mean, the only thing, like, w w again, watching that old prototype video, like, there's one bit where you, you knock, like, this burning, um, like, fire lantern down, and it, like, sets this box of explosives on fire, and then that attracts one guy over, and then it blows up right as he shows up, and I'm like, oh, that bit was kind of cool. Like, we could have <laughs> had something with that, maybe. Um, but, like, yeah, there, there are no broad things where I'm like, oh, if we just had another month, we co totally could have, yeah, there's nothing like that. It feels very complete, I guess, which is actually pretty satisfying. Yeah, that's true. It's disappointing, though. You know, games need more explosions, so it, 
It's a, it's a shame that wasn't included. That's right. That's just what it needed. <laughs> was there anything you uh, were working on and said, you know, the game's finished out now, the critical reception is there. Is there anything you've seen now and went, man, I wish I hadn't included that. You, you said it's complete, and uh, I, I agree, but is there anything, like, just in your mind as the creator looking at it and going, eh, you know? <sighs> None. I mean, like, there's always, like, lots of little tiny stuff, right? Right. It's just like, oh, that the placement of that guard could have been a little bit better, or, you know, the, the way we could have composited this space could have been a little bit clearer. But it's all, like, really, really nitpicky stuff. There isn't, There aren't any, like, big broad stroke things that I sort of grimace at and think we made compromises on. Um, it's also, it's pretty contained. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's pretty... There, there isn't a lot of like extraneous stuff in there. Um, you know, if anything, there's there are a number of items, and some people might use some of the items and not others. But you know, from playtesting, they all they all ended up working well. One of the funny things, like um, Jason Schreier at Kotaku was having a conversation with Kirk Hamilton, you know, doing their their letter exchange thing, and he was like, you know, if this had been a triple A game with a 20 million dollar budget then there would have been a puzzle where you have to match colored blocks together to unlock something <laughs> and you know it's, it's sort of like there, there's nothing like that and there's no expectation that there'd be stuff like that and that's all to the good um looking at how it turned out yeah that, that was actually one of my uh favorite things about the game is kind of how saying bare essentials sounds bad but just streamlined yes um and that, that was actually uh, one of the things that kind of kicked off us being able to do this conversation was just, um, you know, I talked to you guys on Twitter and just like this game is very streamlined to the point. It's punchy. It's fast. It's it, there, there's no fluff. There's no f extra fat that it's like, oh, well, you know, that level was completely unneeded. Everything just feels very cohesive and I'm just going to use the word again, streamlined. Um, and to you, Chris, was there, how was working with that kind of streamlined nature uh, in writing the story? How, how was it trying to fit so much world into, you know, these like minute and a half cutscenes and small bits of ambient dialogue? It was, I mean, it was interesting because it was my, this is my first game doing that kind of writing, you know, telling a story with all these different tools uh, in this kind of a game. Um, so there's a lot I learned from the experience and a lot I would do. Uh, there's a lot more I would do next time because um, I just understand it better. It was, but, you know, it was interesting. Like, I feel like I, the tools were there, though, to set up the world. And it was very much a matter of prioritizing it. Um, there were the things that you definitely wanted people to understand. Like a great deal of it is is instructional text. You know, when you listen to Aura, much of what she's telling you is very practical, specific advice on what to deal with. Because if a player doesn't completely get that they can throw a smoke bomb and block a laser, then that's going to be a real problem for them. Mm -hmm. There are a lot of things like that that you just want to make sure that they completely understand without even having to think about it. So that's what a lot of the dialogue is, is doing. Um, but, you know, on top of that, you have the chance to set the tone by the way that Aura says things or as I says things, by the way the enemies talk, by the way that they fit into the environments. There are opportunities to kind of like suggest things about your state of mind, just sort of whispering in your ear and making you doubt certain things or worry about certain things. And, you know, it, it, 
there, it, you know, we saw how you could take advantage of that. I mean, the larger the larger lore is definitely, um, you know, it's more in the background. It's more if you seek it out, uh, you know, finding all the scrolls and listening to haiku. And I think we had more of it in a Bible in the office than there is in the game, which I think is fine. I mean, mm -hmm. if you, you pick up every scroll and you piece it together, you get a sense of this clan and you get a sense of their history and kind of the fact that, you know, the ninjas were only around until, you know, the 16th and into the 17th century. And then that was pretty much it for them. And the fact that this one clan has survived all these centuries later um, is, you know, good for them. I mean, that's amazing that they did it, but they really kind of don't belong there anymore. And that sets the stage for what happens to them and how, you know, the, the kind of history is catching up with them and maybe their days are numbered. Um, and I think it was we were able to convey that because, you know, the most important thing is sort of to make you understand just what's in front of you in this moment. And the, and the next most important thing is to make you understand your own arc of like, you know, here's the challenge in front of you. Here's what you have to figure out. And then, you know, if people if people kind of step back further to see sort of the arc of how that all happened, then that's great. But you definitely, you know, writing this, I, I, I was it was easy to kind of figure out, like, how to prioritize those things. And that's why certain things go into like a scroll that a lot of people will never find. And that's why other things are voiced right in your ear and the game actually almost stops you so that you have to listen to it. Um, so how did writing it work? Did you actually write descriptions for cutscenes and things like that? Or was it mostly the spoken word of the cutscenes or the ambient dialogue or whatnot? Well, a lot of it, a lot of it was really collaborative. Um, I came in after the story, like the the plot and the story had been had been established. Mm -hmm. So you know the 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 structure of like what's happening in each act, the ending, the main characters, Aura, Azai, uh, and Karjan were all there. So the the and the thing with the tattoos, a lot of that other stuff. So that's been baked in from the beginning, um, and then it was a matter of fleshing it out. And, and as you say, fleshing out those cutscenes. Um, a lot of those were, were done with the animators um, and, and the whole team, sort of figuring out, like, all right, in this one, you know, we kind of want this kind of scene. Or, you know, I might start out because it's like, okay, well, we know we need these two characters to talk, so I'd write a, a script for that. Other times it would be like, hey, I think we need a scene, you know, a scene that does this, so I would write to that description. Um, and so it was kind of, there was a lot of back and forth about exactly what the cutscenes were and how they worked. Um, and then at the end of the day, it came down to writing the dialogue. The other thing that had a lot of back and forth, and that was actually the hardest part, was trying to write that, you know, the ambient part of the story, the, the you know, the incidental dialogue, the things that Aura is whispering in your ear. Because I've been playing builds of the game since last, well, over a year now. Um, but we didn't have all four worlds yet. You know, like the fourth world came in last. We had more time to kind of look at world one and figure out where lines might fit into that. But it kind of got harder as it went along, and it's hard. You know, you you're looking at an you're you're playing that early early build on a PC, and it's like an empty building, and you know, and then you get to a certain point, and then the floor gives way, and like someone has written text on the wall that says "this part not yet done." You know, like <laughs> so you you know there are t so it's tough. I mean, I think that the trick I've learned on that is just to write and write and write and overwrite and i think if i were to do it all over again i'd write like probably five times as much stuff for every section and just throw most of it out because 
better to kind of have some neat ideas and then 90% of them just don't fit anywhere, but the other 10% are neat than to sort of be like, he goes through some doors. Um, So that's sort of what you try to do with that. Um, And, you know, all right. Uh, I'm actually going to steal a, a question from later on in the interview real quick um, about the ending because that was one of my favorite parts. Was that something that was already established, kind of how it ended? I don't want to spoil too much for people that haven't beaten the game yet, but... Uh, kind of. Yeah, kind of. <laughs> <laughs> the, the, general, the general shape of it was established from the beginning. Okay. Yeah. How it would end and sort of the fact that there was a choice and the fact that what was at stake. And then there was a lot of work over the months to fine tune it and get it to where it was. And like a couple really long story meetings and um, a lot of discussion about it. And also yeah. some false starts of, you know, what happened in that whole final section changed mm-hmm. a bunch. Um, yeah. Yeah. Cause I, I remember playing that, that portion the, 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 the long walk, uh, if you will. And <laughs> yeah. I really started to question just like how I had been playing the game and I'm like, wait a minute, what? No, no, that's, that can't be what's happening. No, no, that's not right. Wait a minute. Are you serious? Oh man. (laughs) I do have, I do have to say that as, you know, as a gamer, I've never been attracted to, you know, ninja fiction of any kind. And so the game was attracting me on a really mechanics base and the game and the story, you know, it was enjoyable, but it it wasn't the appeal for me. And then I, at the end of the story, during that last bit, you know, I, I just felt so compelled to go revisit the game and went, oh my god, what did I miss? You know, <laughs> how did it come to this way? It's, you know, it was, it's it's interesting. Did you did you plan it in a way to appeal people who maybe wouldn't draw into the themes of, you know, the ninja esque activity and have this kind of, you know. It would almost spoil it to ask for the inspiration of the ending, but like that kind of twist really attracts people because the story isn't the main focus until the very end. Yeah, I mean, I think I think that was kind of some of the approach in that, like, indeed, most most you know, pop culture notions of, of ninja ness are unfortunately like just horribly cornball at best, right? <laughs> um, like, there are a couple really really good. Uh, Japanese films kind of about sort of a ninja shinobi thing, but they're like from Japanese directors from like the seventies. Right. And they, they, they've barely got American releases. Probably nobody's ever seen them. Um, so aside from that, yeah, it's totally all schlocky garbage. So it's like, well, we still need to have something that's substantive going on here, but we obviously can't lean on the tropes of this. Um, so what else can we do? That's interesting and kind of has some substance and says something about like, you know, at, at a slightly higher level, like, what this whole experience you've been going through is about, both as like a, as a member of the audience and within the fiction. Um, yeah, that, that was definitely the idea, I think. Yeah, I mean, it's. I think what it points to when you when you look at where this is going and what's happening with this character that, and again, so yeah, we're not we're not going into spoilers, but you know, you're told early on that you have to save the clan. The way to do that is by taking this kind of funky tattoo ink that gives you these hallucinate that gives you this these powers, but makes you a little you know there are side effects. Mm-hmm. And um, 
that this is the way that the clan has survived all these years, but it's a little bit unnatural, you know, because you're you're kind of doing something that's that's kind of um, transgressive and not and and has some you know possibly evil consequences. They warn you that if you keep doing these tattoos uh, for too long, you're going to go nuts. And people have done it before. They go nuts. They start killing everyone, and they have to be put down. So the deal is that you are you have to sacrifice yourself before that happens. So right there, like as the character, you know, you, you realize this is a tragic character. Like this guy is not going to have that. Th this looks bleak for him headed into the game. And so I think that that sets the tone for figuring out what does that mean? And then it, then the and I think a lot of our discussion from that was sort of figuring out, well, what does this mean for the clan? Like, what is why is his eye? Why does his eye make the, the who runs the clan? Why does he make the choices he makes? What does Ninja think of them? What do they really mean? What are they? based on what kind of circumstances are they dealing with that push them into this kind of crummy situation um and that was sort of the that was the interesting part of it and i think that's where the ending came from was sort of i think we what we knew what was going to be the ending pretty early on you know like what was at stake and how it was going to play out and then i think the implementation was the stuff that came in near the end like exactly how the oh, yeah. ends would work and also that long walk came in really late like i, I remember seeing that in some of the later builds and that was all i mean that's i mean that's my favorite part of the game and it's because it just expresses all that through gameplay and art mm -hmm. um there's no you know that wasn't scripted like all the lines you hear from earlier parts in the game and that's it's just like a magnificent thing and and um yeah so that's but it took yeah it took time i mean just playing off what nels just said too about sort of the history of, of ninja and everything we did a lot of research to make it more true to I mean, true to the myths of the ninja, but like the original myths of the ninja, not not just the the hokey like kind of real ultimate power ninja. I mean, these are ninja who are <laughs> meant to be spies. They're meant to be infiltrators. They're meant to be sneaky. They're not. I mean, they can fight, but that's not their purpose. They're meant to be these kind of shameful people who like scowl around in the dark while the samurai get to ride the horses in and march in and get all the glory. Um, and if you go through World One. You know, we had the, the, the audio logs, all the haiku and the audio logs sort of tell one continuous story about a ninja mission. And all the things in there are based on, you know, like real or else quote unquote real things that ninja would do. Like they're all based on something that was reported or or made up early on about kind of badass escapades of uh, ninjas. And that gave, I think, a little more grounding and gave us a chance to kind of think, of, yeah, think about what it meant. Think about what a ninja would mean. Yeah. Very cool. All right, uh, Kyle, why don't you ask uh, some of your more gameplay mechanic-oriented questions? <laughs> yeah, and I, uh, I think these will obviously go to Nell. Sorry, Chris. Um... These <laughs> will jump in whatever because Chris has probably yeah, spent more yep. time playing the game at various stages than anyone else. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair too. Um, you know, we mentioned earlier. We mentioned earlier with uh, you know Batman and the Last what? Winter Cell is that they've had problems kind of balancing how much power do we put in the player right. and still give him the stealth option. You know, yeah. in a case like Splinter Cell Conviction, you know, I played that and. It, it was too easy to gun through that game. And uh, how, how difficult was it to not overpower the player while giving him the tools necessary to complete the game in the way that you wanted them to? Yeah, um, I mean, it's, it, it was more about, like, like what, are, what, are, what are your expressive capabilities in the game, right? Like, an, early on, um, 
we had a much larger, robust combat system. Um, but what that, like in hindsight, it's like, of course, this is totally obvious. But like by putting that much emphasis on that particular system, the game is kind of saying that this is going to be a big part of how you play. Um, of course, it was never be that way. Right? So be like, well, if you're caught, you get to maybe recover, whatever. Um, because there was so much like systemic weight, it felt like, oh, this is this is a big part of the game. So if you're not engaging with not part of the game, right? Um, and that was not wanted at all. Oh, we ended up taking like two, three, four different swings at that whole system before we just ended up like pairing it back, pairing it back until it got to the, the you know the, the the final like like pretty darn minimal version in there now. Um, and I think it's, yeah, it's just about, you know, where you want to, like, put that emphasis, right? If you don't have, like, you know, direct confrontation with the it's like, like, some plenty of other interesting stuff that you can do. Um, and that, that's where it's honored to ourselves, right? Where, oh, hey, you know, hey Nils, we're, we're losing you just a little bit. Yeah, we're getting some feedback yeah. or something. Oh, really? No. Um, there's kind of a weird echo. Yeah. <laughs> You're going into space slowly. Man, that's in space. Uh, yeah, hopefully not. Let me mute my unit. Is that any better? Maybe a little bit. That's a little bit better, but I'm noticing that every time you talk, uh, Chris's uh, picture lights up in Skype as well. Oh, do you so, want me to turn? Is it my thing? Let me turn my speakers down. I'm not. Yeah, I'm not sure exactly yeah, what it is. But if you wanna turn your speakers down, that'd be. I think that would solve it. Okay, I just uh -huh. did. Aha! Uh -huh. There we go. Um, there we go. Perfect. But uh, yeah. Anyway, um, you know, it's like how how much how much weight we put on the different different um uh, different elements of the game. And yeah, again, oh, all right. So it's like if you don't have a lot of you know like straight up combative stuff, there has to be something else there. Um, because just like waiting behind a wall for a guard to walk past you and then sneaking the way he came from. Like, that's not interesting for 6, 8, 12 hours, right? Um, and where you <laughs> excel is that, like, if you're... I mean, you have kind of more options if you're, if you're going through that game killing dudes, but really not that many more. Like, there's still tons of other interesting stuff you can do. Um, and that's what we found, is that, like, as long as where the weight of, of the actual like interaction with the game is, it's like that how that is how it's gonna feeling. So if you don't wanna make a game where, you know, blasting through and shooting dudes is a way to kind of a derivative way to actually undercut your stealth game, you gotta have other stuff there to, to carry it. Right. And I I'm sure that was born out of kind of uh you mentioned before, just your frustrations with the bad examples of the genre, you know, that some of them that gave you too much power it, obviously is that where that came from just that that need for the exact balance just playing other stealth games and going you know they're they're not doing as much as they can here they're giving the player too much power yeah i mean that wasn't like a, a, a bit i'm sure that was there subconsciously but it was more just about like i think stealth games are the most interesting um kind of how they're different from a lot of other character-based action adventure whatever games is that like their games all about providing you with a whole bunch of different options and that you can just approach it however you see fit um but if one of those options ends up being much better than the others 
that's probably going to be the one you're going to go with all the time. Like, objectively better versus this is more interesting to me as a player. Um, but if it's, like, completely objectively better, it's just going to be degenerate. And that's just going to be how most people play. And if you're not playing that way, you're going to feel like you're playing the game wrong, so to speak. Um, so, yeah, that like, the motivation was really about, like, providing enough, a bunch of different options and then saying, approach this however you see fit. Right. And I, I think I consider myself the best use case for uh, Mark of the Ninja because I'm terrible at stealth games. I'm <laughs> I am the person who shot through conviction on Splinter Cell and I am the person who on X-ray vision all the time in Batman. You know, and one of the things that attracted me to reviewing and, you know, playing Mark of the Ninja was, you know, wow, these mechanics really make stealth feel accessible for the very first time. Uh and, and I think it has a lot to do with how fluid the movement is, how easy it is to just jump from one place to the next. You know, the game, it doesn't hold the player's hand. It may do, it may do that at first, but it does it just enough where it really st strings the player along to being independent. And I think that's yeah. important. Uh, how difficult do you think that would be to translate that into a three-dimensional game? Because, you know, I'm playing through Dishonored right now, and I'm thinking, man... I had an easier time being stealthy in Mark of the Ninja, obviously, because it's a two-dimensional game, but, you know, how, how do you think you would translate that to a three-dimensional game? Yeah, I don't know. I'm glad that's not a problem we had to solve. <laughs> <laughs> because, like, because, because Ninja is 2D, um, we can get away with some of, that, some of that visual feedback being a bit more abstract, because the game itself is a bit more abstract anyway, right? Like, it's, right. you know, side-scrolling 2D, you're not, like, living in another person's body looking out of their eyes right <laughs> um, so because it is a little bit more abstract that stuff doesn't feel like as exogenous as it would if you were just to put that in a 3d game um i mean i think yeah there would have to be you know other ways that you like just, just make those systems apparent um and I, and I don't know what they are like obviously plenty of people have tried like a light meter sensor thing and that it's it's, it's okay it's never great um yeah, having that kind of precision is is difficult, and I don't yeah I don't know where I'd start coming at that. <laughs> but I hope <laughs> smart people do because I'd like to I'd like to see what that feels like in a three D game. Um, but yeah, I don't I wouldn't even know where to begin really. <laughs> yeah, I don't think I don't think it would be the same game at all. Um, yeah. but I mean that's that was what was interesting though, right? Because there hadn't been stealth two D games in in quite a while. Mm -hmm. Um, and that was right. I mean, Nels, that was sort of the experiment. To, to see how this would work in this. And then it's it's funny now, having gone through the whole process, you look at it, it's like, oh, it works very well. And there are people who don't really like 3D stealth that get this. Because it's, yeah. it's sort of like, it's different because you, you, you always know, I mean, for me, I have trouble with 3D stealth because it's just that feeling of not knowing what's behind me, of sort of my brain not being quite that great at visualizing every aspect of a 3D space. So even in some simple little stealth part in Uncharted 2, I just keep screwing up. I just don't remember who's behind me, and you just don't have that problem here. So next year, two-dimensional Splinter Cell. Same <laughs> year. Oh, yeah, yeah. it's you kind of interesting. It's, it's interesting looking at Mark of the Ninja and, like, all other 2D stealth games that have come before it uh, were, like, GBA ports of 3D yeah. stealth games. They, they never tried to do it in and of themselves. They did it 2D because they couldn't do it 3D. Yeah. Um, and and I, I kind of struggle with thinking of how, how it would look in a uh, three-dimensional world with, like, being able to see 
what sounds work and, you know, where guys can look and stuff like that. And I think the closest thing would be Dishonored. And honestly, it's a, it's a little weird because you get a superpower that allows you to, like, see where people are looking. And it looks like their eyes are glowing, like they, they, they have headlights for eyes. Um, and it, it's really, really bizarre. That was like the first ability that I got in the game. It's like, oh, this was super useful in Mark of the Ninja. I should have something like this. And then I ended up never using it for like the rest of the game. <laughs> yeah, because, and uh, again, like it's just because like, I don't know how I saw this problem either, but like the precision is really difficult to get. Mm -hmm. um, it's just like, it's like even, even when it's visualized like that, it's like it still doesn't really tell you what you need to know. Um yeah. Well, hopefully somebody will figure that out. <laughs> you can only hope. I'm sure Not Ubisoft can can throw enough money at it, and they'll 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 get it right one of these days. <laughs> we'll see. Um, all right. Well, um, what about how do you guys feel about the universe of Mark of the Ninja? We've obviously gotten two shanks uh, from from Clay Entertainment. Uh, do you think there's room for more, Ninja? Uh, maybe. I mean, it would, it would, it would obviously like what we've been doing as of late is just getting the getting the PC version done, and that mm -hmm. was just last week. That's out on Steam now, which is great. Um, and there will yeah, be links um, to to that in the show notes as well. So cool. go buy um, Mark of the Ninja. <laughs> <laughs> I need to eat. Um, <laughs> you don't need food. You need ninjas. That's right. Uh, uh, it matters. But uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, like the if if we were to do more, it would definitely be motivated by we need like there has to be some new ideas we need to explore, right? Like the the ninja ninja is very very much self-contained, and that was very much on purpose. Like I think uh, like one of the grossest hack moves is when you like finish a game and all it is is a setup for a sequel, right? Like that's just that's just the grossest thing. In the world. I mean, unless it's like obviously part of a trilogy, you know, like Mass Effect does it, but it's like it's very clearly an homage to Star Wars, right? So mm -hmm. that's whatever. That's fine. Um, it was just like some random game, and it like it ends with just a cliffhanger for for more. It's just like ugh, barf, really. Um, or when you play a game that's ten years old, and then at the end they set up the sequel, and you're like, yeah, you guys are out of business now. <laughs> yeah. I mean, even like the spiritual a, successor. Yeah, from a yeah. practice. From a practical perspective, it's like, oh, that's kind of presumptuous. But just from like a creative thing, it's like that's such a gross move too, right? Mm -hmm. um, so obviously, like, if there were to be more, it wouldn't like literally be a direct "what happens next" type of thing. Um, there'd have to be some new ideas we want to explore there, and I guess time will tell on whether or not we we think there are. <laughs> All right. What uh, do you? Uh, oh, sorry. Go uh, ahead. No, go ahead. Okay. Um, as far as ninjas go, you know, I think I mentioned earlier that, you know, ninjas weren't my thing, and I went into this game and was really committed to the fiction by the end of it. Do you have hope for, you know, more ninja fiction? You know, after the success of this game, maybe more people will rise up about it. We'll have less Naruto, maybe some more more concrete ninja <laughs> fiction on the market. <laughs> Actual uh, ninjas. Well, I don't know. I mean, cool, right? Like, I, I don't hold any high hopes, believe you me. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, it's like, like again i'm a giant history nerd and it's like that that stuff comes from a, a period of time that is like both interesting and not really well understood by a lot of people who aren't you know eastern asian scholars or japanese themselves um <laughs> so it's like yeah i mean that like it's like if stuff actually explored that well that would be super cool i mean um um creative assemblies like shogun 2 that came out 
early this year? Was it last yeah, year? Yeah, Recently. Yeah. Like, it totally does that. And, it, like, obviously, that, like, that kind of historical military battles is, like, is their cachet, right? That's what they do. Um, but, like, I've, I've always, like, from, from, the, the, from Total War Rome to, to Shogun, um, like, those, I love those games because they explore parts of history that a lot of people don't under like don't have a really clear grasp of how like amazingly intricate they actually were um so if there's more of that like ooh, i'm happy as a clam it was yeah, more yeah, i mean the, the the things that we were reading up on and the things you know it's sort of like something like that gets blown out to this kind of really exaggerated myth and this really crazy you know crazy image of what a ninja is and i think you know real ultimate power and what that means and that they're splitting the world open with one hand and it's this insane <laughs> exaggerated thing and you know you explore that for a while and i think that that's been pretty well played played out um then you go back into history and sort of see this other side of it of what else they could be of being very vulnerable of not dressing in black you know that they can wear costumes that they can wear disguises that they they used to use guns there are some amazing stories of assassination attempts where they were using arquebuses um and then it kind of gives you this whole new perspective on this thing that is a familiar concept and everyone gets it instantly, but then they see something new in it that they maybe didn't know about. Um, so it's definitely fertile ground for sure. So one quick question. Why do you think no one has really gone into the subject matter this way before? I mean, we've had uh, Shinobi and there's been Ninja Gaiden and several other ninja games, but they're always these high action, super powerful you know, generally, like, combo-driven games that it's like, that's not a ninja. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know thoughts. either. Like, <laughs> no, I mean, there was... It was like, best yeah. ninja game is Splinter Cell, pretty much. <laughs> right, exactly. And there was, yeah, there was exactly. Two, and that kind of peaked in, like, you know, the late 90s, early 2000s, and then that was it, right? Um, and why? I don't know, because it seems like, well, if you're making a game about someone that wants to be sneaky, like, that's a pretty good archetype to draw from yeah <laughs> yeah so i don't know all right uh kyle do you have any other questions that you would like to get off your chest before we <laughs> <laughs> no i think that's it uh, it's been great talking to you guys all right uh do you guys have anything that you would like to get off your chest didn't tell the whole world about mark of the ninja um that you haven't been able to say yet for random reasons <laughs> <laughs> They've been held hostage until this point, and now they're free to say what they want. <laughs> no, I don't. I don't think so. Um, nah, not really. Like, I mean, just in general, just broadly, like, you know, working with with Chris and everybody else on Clay was was absolutely amazing. And like, there's no question, right, that this game was like a success built by everyone. Um, and uh, and that's actually really cool. And I'm I'm very stoked that you know the the same awesome group of folk is going to keep making stuff. But uh, beyond that, no, not really. <laughs> yeah, I just I mean I know that's kind of corny to be like, oh my god, these guys were great. But it really, you know, there are a lot of really talented people at Clay. I've been a fan of Clay since Eats in 2006, um, when that was, when that came out on PC. And it's it's just a really good studio. Like both, you know people taking like the ideas and like kind of the risks of doing like 2d stealth you know a 2d stealth game and then getting you know it was really cool for me to kind of watch i mean from a distance i'm on the other side of the continent but to watch just the iteration to get the builds to see these things evolve to see things like just get better and new ideas come in 
and to see the game get all the time it needed to go through that iteration and polish and then, you know, come out when it was ready. It was just really cool. Like as a process nerd, I was really psyched about how it all played out. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm really pleased with it. And it's just been really awesome yeah. seeing, seeing the reaction to it and seeing that people liked it. So. All right. Well, that is good to hear. Thank you guys for being on. Uh, this was a lot of fun. I hope we can do maybe something like this after whatever your next game is. Shank 3. Shank 3. <laughs> In 3. Shank versus Ninja. Uh, oh, man. Shank I, 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 All-Stars. I, 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 Jamie's line in regard to uh, it's a shake was shake three, not for me. Um, <laughs> don't be holding your breath on that one. <laughs> Uh, well, uh, thank you guys for being on. Uh, like I said, there will be uh, links to your interview with Michael Abbott um, in the show notes, as well as the Giant Bomb article, as well as links to Mark of the Ninja, both on Xbox Live and on Steam. Uh, if you're listening to this and you haven't played that game, you should at least go download the demo, if not buy it. It's fantastic. You should uh, buy it because the ninja might jump in your house and assassinate you. You never know. You, you never, never know. know. Never know. <laughs> Can't know for sure. Why take the risk? <laughs> Mark of the Ninja. It's for your own protection. <laughs> All right. Good talking to you guys. Awesome. Yeah, Thank you very so much, much, guys.